Turns out homeschooling four children, four different grades, two different schools, three different campuses. It was a lot of work. It turns out it was a lot of work. You ready? Fucking polynomial. Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. My name is Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here in episode 116, where we will be discussing chapters 114 through 119 of Oathbringer, of Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. Oathbringing. <laughs> Oathbringing too. <laughs> the bringing Oh, it's too early in the podcast <laughs> for this level of silliness. Oh, on our next book club, we're going to cover chapter 120 through the epilogue. You heard it. We will finish the book. The oath will be broad. <laughs> so what'd you think of this section? I'm supposed to ask you that. Oh, okay. All right. What did you think of this section? I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really, 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 really strong section. I am kind of like, I know we're only a couple of chapters from the end, mm-hmm. but I'm also sort of like, well, that's it. Like we've, right. we've made a massive, massive, massive turnaround. If the book ended now with no denouement, I, I, I wouldn't be upset. Right, but and, and but there's a huge freaking battle that hasn't even happened yet. Oh, I know. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's still a lot of stuff to happen, and yet a lot of stuff has happened. Did you have a favorite moment in all of the kick-ass moments of this section? Oh, um, uh, for me, actually, it was the Renarin Yasna stuff. Mm, yeah, and, I mean, really, the way it all sort of went together, but mm-hmm. particularly. That storyline mm-hmm. was to me, I think, the most powerful. That was really touching when they're running across the rooftops, holding hands. Yeah, I I really did love that. Yeah, the whole the the whole Yasna, uh, Renarin stuff was my favorite. For me, it's when um, Adolin's dead eye Spren oh, saves yeah. him. That's good too. Yeah. I'm like ah. This was, I mean, there's a lot of really good cinematic mm-hmm. stuff. This is probably the most cinematic I feel like a Stormlight Archive has been. Mm-hmm. Well, let's jump right into it. Chapter 114 is called The Cost. Drunk flashback Dalinar is on his way to visit the Night Watcher. He makes his way into the overgrown valley where she lives and is beset by images of a violent future. The Night Watcher appears, and she is creepy AF. He tells her that he wants forgiveness. She offers him eternal beauty or maybe a nice sword instead. Their negotiations are interrupted by a mysterious mother with capital M. She offers to prune Dalinar so that he has room to grow. The cost will be his memories of Evie, Natch. Dalinar agrees to the price and returns to his camp, not healed of his trauma, but less of a wreck than he was before. So first off, I just have to say, there's a character in this chapter named Felt. Yes, there is, yeah. <laughs> Do you think Brandon Sanderson was just really late at night and like looking around the room, he's like, uh, and, uh, and he said to Felt. Like, <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I have to tell you, naming things, naming lots of things, is probably the hardest part of writing. It's it's 
really, really difficult. And he has so many characters. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's not like, you know, it's not like a a book that's got seven characters in it, or even forty characters. This one's got hundreds and hundreds of characters. And sometimes you get to a point where probably anything sounds like a name. Hey, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like sure table. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Scotch tape crept along the ridge. (laughs) What else? Okay, so Dalinar goes into the woods. I love the description of the woods. I love that there are little black birds, and he's like, wild chickens, you know? (laughs) So that's section. He says, plant life had exploded inside. Vines, ferns, flowers, and grasses grew together in a wall of underbrush. It reminded Dalinar of a battlefield, a grand tapestry depicting people locked in mortal combat, each one struggling for advantage. And I thought, here's another example of Brandon Sanderson doing a great job of describing things from the character's point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's an underappreciated aspect that everything is always, you know, sort of through the character's eyes and the way they mm-hmm. would see it and describe it. Exactly. We've talked about this a little bit with Shalon and how in her point of view chapters, uh, the colors are emphasized in the way she describes things. She talks a lot more about the natural landscape because mm-hmm. that's what is interesting to her. So, I, yeah, I agree with that yeah. point. But I do have a couple of uh, comments about about felt specifically. About felt? Before okay, we... you have thoughts and feelings about felt? I do. I do have thoughts and feelings about felt. <laughs> okay. So first, uh, felt says, or I'm sorry, Dalinar says, tell the good caravan master we'll take our wagons and split him from here. Pay him what he asked for, felt. And then some on top. Uh, if you say so, Bright Lord, seems that having a shard bearer along should be payment enough. And I was like, why? Like, it doesn't. For protection. But, yeah, but not payment enough. Like, he's only going here because of him. The idea that that would suffice, to me, I think it it's a real sort of reflection on their society that mm-hmm. that you are better by virtue of being a shard bearer, which has nothing to do with who you are other than what family you were born into and given most likely. Mm-hmm. I mean, very few shards are actually changing hands. Most of them are inherited. So you just happen to be born in a family and be given this item. And so therefore people should not expect you to, they should just do things for you for free. Like mm-hmm. it's a, it's a weird thing. It's not the by any means the first time we've seen it, but just another example of how weird and backwards this society is. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think it's a really interesting to contrast that with the society we see in Shinovar, which, you know, as we kind of now know, that was their original society and, and they've evolved into who they are now. Um, but with the, the taboo against violence and... You know, if you were a farmer, you had the most social status because you were creating something useful versus if you were a fighter, that was, you know, you were the bottom man on the totem pole. So it's 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 cool to see how they've developed into who they are today. It's strange you bring that up because maybe strange isn't the right word, but I couldn't think of anything else but interesting. So don't say interesting. So so I just powered (laughs) ahead. Uh, So interesting that you brought that up because... I'm curious about whether or not that culture in Shinovar of prizing farmers over warriors and warriors being the lowest caste of society, is that actually what they were like when they first came? 
the quote humans game. I think it. I think it would make a lot of sense if it was. I don't know that it does. And here's the reason why I'm not certain that I agree with that. Because the idea is that these people came to this planet from somewhere else, and the singers were like, they have no song in their heart, Mm -hmm. they're violent, they will betray you. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't seem like what we see from Shinovar. So it leads me to think one of, there's one of two realities. Either that is what, the people came to this planet like and something happened when they crossed over mm-hmm. and started to mingle with the um, with the singers and you know the the Voran religion and the thrill brought on by one of the unmade mm-hmm. crept into society and perverted them until mm-hmm. they came became like that mm-hmm. that's one thought which i think is probably the most likely one or the other reality is that humans came with that same sort of warlike tendency, and there was some some split when they went over the wall, and you know there was some big societal split, and the folks of Shinovar evolved into a peaceful society when the the more militant element went over the wall. You know, I don't know that it's confirmed either way. What I speculate happened is, and it kind of makes me think of like the Aeol mm-hmm. um, from Wheel of Time. You had these people who destroyed their own planet using surge binding and came here for sanctuary and as such set up the society where where you don't do that. You you mm-hmm. you know, a, a complete reversal from what they were before because they were so horrified about what they did on their own planet and they were so determined to do things differently that they set up this this society like they have in Shinovar, where its creation is valued. Destruction is the worst thing you can do. And um, over time, though, they started to forget, you know, as the generations passed, they started to forget why they valued the things that they did and, you know, eventually then left their valley and kind of developed into what we see today. I mean, that makes sense as well. That, certain, that certainly makes sense as well. But, I, but we don't know. We definitely don't know what is the truth of that. Right. I sort of like the idea that they came over like that, you know, averse to that sort of thing. Because I really think that a big part of a Lethe society is the corruption of the Voran religion mm-hmm. and the unmade th- through the thrill uh, contaminating their society right. and making it more warlike. Yeah. So I like that idea better. Back to Felt. Sorry, back to Felt. <laughs> no, I'm, the felt. Der- I'm the one who derailed it. So back to Felt. He also says... Um, you know, right before Dalinar goes in there, he says, um, to be frank, sir, Dalinar is asking what he saw. Uh, she didn't come to me. Doesn't visit everyone, you see. Dalinar says, any idea why she didn't visit you? Well, best I could figure, she doesn't like foreigners. I might have trouble too, says Dalinar. You're a little less foreign, sir, Felt says. Meaning, Felt is a world hopper. With droopy, droopy mustachios. Mm. Felt is Dario Naharis. <laughs> we are down the rabbit hole now, we aren't have, we? We have only just gotten started. Does he have knives with naked ladies on the hilt? I don't know, but That he's would got, be the clincher. He's got a blue mustache. I'm just saying, until we see the naked lady knives, I'm <laughs> <laughs> holding your theory in abeyance, Okay. okay. <laughs> 
Well, I love, but I love that Dalinar is literally going into the woods for his, you know, into the woods moment. Mm, yeah, yeah. In his for story. Sure, yeah. And the fact that the thrill, which has at, up until this point in his life been kind of a constant, completely disappears. Yeah. That's a hint for him uh, that there's something supernatural go- about to happen. And then he's shown this series of visions of what he would look like if he was an all-powerful despot. And it's pretty terrible. It's ugly, bro. Yeah. It's ugly. He's treacherous as the sea, stronger than the foundations right. of the earth. <laughs> Beautiful and terrible to behold. <laughs> All shall love me and despair. Yeah, that's one of the best moments. We have in- to finish it. So then a voice calls to him and calls him son of honor and son of odium. It's very progressive. Mm-hmm. Two fathers. <laughs> so this is a great cinematic moment when the Night Watcher comes out. Um in the book, the way that she's described is just amazingly creepy. Um, that she's kind of like a dark green mist, vaguely shaped like a crawling person, but with like a face on it. When somebody's gonna put together a Stormlight ar- Archive anime series, like mm-hmm. when are they gonna do that? It needs to happen. I think it will eventually. So she asks what he wants, and he says, forgiveness. And the Night Watcher's tendrils. Dodged away from his face like splayed fingers. She leaned back, pursing her lips. Perhaps it is possessions you wish. Spheres, gemstones, shards, a blade that bleeds darkness and cannot mm-hmm. be defeated. Mm-hmm. Now that, I think, is an interesting one that we should come back to. Mm-hmm. I can give it to you. Forgiveness? Nah, you don't want that. <laughs> Meaning, uh, I can't. Mm-hmm. give you that but i can give you night night blood mm-hmm. that's interesting mm-hmm. that indicates that i mean i suspect that she's not going to like snatch it from reality and pull it into the world and hand it to him. right i suspect that that means she's able to manipulate things so that it falls into his hands well yeah and i i think it probably indicates that at this point in the story night blood is already on roshar that too, yeah, that as well. But alas, the Night Watcher gets swept aside, <laughs> and who should show up? The description says, she had a matronly build and wore a sweeping brown dress. Matronly? You calling me fat? <laughs> hey, it's matronly. Thank you very much. I know what matronly and wearing a sweeping brown dress means. <laughs> So the Night Watcher calls her mother, and she seems to kind of pull the vines and branches of the forest all kind of lean in towards her. So did you kind of know right away who, oh, it's obviously who she was? Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That was well, what, not too much of a mystery. Well, and what especially makes it not a mystery is in our last episode, in our mm-hmm. last section, uh, the Stormfather says, you've met her, cultivation right. that is, and to that point, we had no indication that that was fact so Mm -hmm. when this person shows up in her matronly brown dress it's like okay right i get what's going on i like this revelation of what the dynamic is between cultivation and the night watcher and what the night watcher is really about the night watcher is a creation or a daughter of cultivation who she allows to kind of hold court and meet with these humans so that she can learn about them which I think is why when Dalinar asked for forgiveness, it so flummoxed her because that's maybe not something she's ever been asked before. Yeah. And, you know, therefore does not have any idea how to grant that kind of What is that? Yeah. 
So, but cultivation knows. Cultivation knows what it's all about. She says, I will take from you your compulsions, but I will give you a pruning. Dalinar says anything. She stepped back to him. In doing this, I provide for him a weapon. Mm-hmm. Dangerous, very dangerous, yet all things must be cultivated. What I take from you will grow back eventually. This is part of the cost. Mm-hmm. It will do me well to have a part of you, even if you ultimately become his. Mm-hmm. You were always bound to come to me. I control all things that can be grown and nurtured, and that includes the thorns. So, you know, the question there becomes in that sort of little interlude, who is the him, mm-hmm. and why is she creating a weapon? Now, you don't have to wonder very long. Right. Because at the end of this section, if, if you couldn't already surmise from context clues, the him is Odium, right. and Dalinar is the weapon because Odium is able to convert him over. Right. So, but we, we can see now that Odium has been working patiently in Dalinar's life for much longer than anyone would have thought. Well, absolutely. I mean, particularly when you realize that the thrill, I think this is the first, I don't know if I sometimes you look back and it over, you know, weeks and weeks of doing this and reading things and you're like, did I predict that or did I not? Like you're mm-hmm. not even sure what you thought. It's hard to separate what you thought nine, 10 weeks ago from mm-hmm. what you think now. But I don't think that I ever thought or said that the thrill was the product of an unmade. Mm-hmm. I definitely said it was evil. Right. I definitely said it was, you know, from odium, but I didn't know that it was an unmade. Right. But that's been there sort of working on odium's behalf for mm-hmm. centuries and right. centuries and centuries. I mean, it's it's not even just laying the groundwork for Dalinar, it's laying the groundwork for all of the Alethi millennia in advance. Mm-hmm. And Cultivation tells Dalinar, I'm I'm visiting you because of the attention that others have shown you. I guess meaning Odium and maybe Honor or the yeah, splinter yeah. of Honor that is left. So things have been, he's been kind of manipulated for a long time. Yeah, for sure. And when he gets back to the camp, he asks for a copy of The Way of Kings. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of come full circle with the with the flashbacks to to seeing how he got to where he is today. Chapter 115 is called The Wrong Passion. Current day Dalinar watches the Everstorm descend on Thalen City. Odium's soldiers are arriving by sea and things aren't looking so great. With the coalition broken, only the Alethi and Thalans remain to defend the city. In Shadesmar, the Scooby Gang finds the Oathgate surrounded by an army. They despair of being able to reach it when the army up and heads to the physical realm, which is good for them, but not so good for everyone on the other side. Yasna finally gets a look at Renarin's spren, and it is all wrong. Teft witnesses Eurythiru fall under attack, and Venli watches as Odium joins the battle and turns all of Amaram's men into evil thrill zombies. Mm. This is when it starts to go down. Yeah. You know, when Amaram's men all start getting the glowing red eye thing, that's when you're like, damn. It's a good thing they have those glowing red eyes. Otherwise, how would we know they were the bad guys? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Odium could kind of work on that, I guess, if you're going to possess people. Yeah, make a little... You know, literally give them red eyes, glowing Second red eyes. Second time around, maybe, maybe <laughs> work on that. 
this is where it all it all starts to go down, but it's also where we start to get chapters that include all the point almost all the points of view. Yes, and so, they kind of jump around yeah, a lot. Yeah, it jumps around a lot. I was really I was thinking about this. Uh, not that I volunteered to help, but I was thinking about this and thinking, this is gonna be really tough for her to write <laughs> to write the chapter <laughs> summaries. I didn't step up and say, Would you like help? But I, <laughs> but I did think about it. I have a system. So my first note from this is actually one of the one of the things I like in this chapter is it's a rare moment that Kaladin says something that I'm like, yay. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Most, of, most of the time recently, I've been a little critical on Mr. Kaladin. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're looking at what's going on in the situation and the six views, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to get through it, and they don't know how to open up the oath gates, and they're like, you know, they're just ready to give up, you know? And mm-hmm. Kaladin says, we have to try. Right. Try what, Cal? Aladdin says. We'll... We'll try something. We we have Stormlight still, an illusion, a distraction. We could get you to the Oath Gate, and you could find out how to free us. He shook his head. We can make it work. We have we have to, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that this is so true of life because how often do you find yourself in a situation where there isn't a clear path forward? Mm-hmm. You don't know. You know where you want to go. It's ten steps away. Mm-hmm. You maybe know the first step, maybe you know the second step, but you don't know the rest of the steps. Mm-hmm. But you have to figure it out in the try. You have to try anyway, right? Because to not try is to is a one hundred percent failure, right? Right. So a simple observation, but something I really like in this chapter. I love that observation. That's absolutely true, and I had kind of noticed. The opposite about Yasna and where she's at in this space, and we know she moves past it in the future, but she's in a space where um, she's given up on the city. Like she's kind of yeah. going through the city trying to find Renarin, and she's kind of like, "Yeah, we're pretty much done here. Like there, there's kind of nothing." And and she she sees Renarin, she sees that his spren seems to be corrupted, and she's kind of like, "Well, I guess I'm gonna have to kill my cousin," you know? Um, yeah. So it's an, it's a neat contrast there. It is, and actually, that was my last note as well. For all the positive that you know, I, I mentioned about Kaladin, and the positive that I mentioned about how Yasna and Renarin's storyline is my favorite in mm-hmm. this section, we get the beginning of this in chapter one fifteen, mm-hmm. and we get the resolution of it in chapter one hundred and eighteen. And in the meantime, they go back to Yasna and Renarin like eight times. Mm-hmm. But nothing happened. Nothing happened. Just, just to Yasna's, tease you. Yasna's just, moving in like super soup, yeah. slow. Mo- like yeah. Their storyline is just like, it's like. She put her hand out and to the right. Yeah. Now to Navani. Yeah. You know? It's okay because it paid off. But mm-hmm. I'm like, man, you are really dragging it out here, buddy. We also get some points of view from Venley in this chapter, a couple of sections. She's kind of on the other side with Odium, mm-hmm. watching things unfold. And from her perspective, she starts out being very, um, being kind of frustrated because here Odium and his fuse have brought all of these um, singers here to fight this battle that they don't really even want to fight. Yeah. You know, these are not like the Alethi um, parchment who are when they were freed, they were kind of ready to go into battle. These ones are like, what do we have? 
do we have to kill them? Like we don't yeah. we don't want to kill the humans. We don't want to do this. You know, and then at the end she Odium says to her, I didn't bring them here to fight. I brought them here to watch. And then he, you know, does all his, his does stuff. all his stuff. His parlor tricks. <laughs> so yeah, that I, I noted that as well. One of the one of the things that I was curious about and I I just don't recall is after the last desolation, the enslavement of the Parshman, was that sort of like a twist on the normal pattern? I mean, certainly, if it had happened in the past, this sort of time around has been like four, four millennia. So it certainly hasn't—it never happened for that length of time before. I wonder how much of a factor that is, the fact that the Parshman were potentially living alongside the Alethi— in this sort of enslaved form for like 4,000 years. Is that what happened or? Well, I think two things happened. One is that, um, so the Oath Pact um, was set up so that, you know, all of the the heralds would go into this torture dimension. And as soon as one of them broke, that's it. It was over and everything would start over again. And when the the nine heralds all left Taln there because they realized that, of all of them, he had never broken. He had never been the one to break. So they just decided to leave him. Mm-hmm. So that was one part of it. And I think it's true that on the other part of it is that the the Parshendi decided to abandon their gods mm-hmm. and purposefully put themselves in that dull form. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I think that the Alethi just kind of came along and saw that they, you know, here were these these people who literally would just sit and stare at a wall unless didn't, you told them to do something. Yeah, didn't have a lot of initiative. You know, yeah. you know, but the fact that they that they had abandoned their gods, you know, and deliberately kept themselves in a place where they would not seek out those forms of power, I think that probably also did delay things starting back up again. Well, yeah, when you have anything and so many of these fantasy things are like patterns and, you know, repeats, right? And this this part of this story is very much like the Wheel of Time. You start to look for, you know, well, what's different? Right. You know, what is it about this time that's different? And that seems to be one of the, one of the things that's different. Later, Odium says to Venley, I prepared these men for decades, men who want nothing so much as something to break to gain vengeance against the one who killed their high prince. So, again, talking about Amaram and Sadius. And then... The other thing I noted in this chapter is that Odium says, Odium and the Fused both say passion a lot. Set your passion free. Yes. You know, if I wasn't already convinced that Voronism is from Odium, you know, I, I'm certainly convinced now. Yeah, I Of course, have a- I was convinced a, a book and a half ago, but... I have a lot of thoughts about that and what Odium represents as well, but I think I I wrote them down in another chapter. So, yeah, I think that definitely is an important thing to note out, though. Chapter 116 is called Alone. Forces gather around Thalen City, and the odds seem insurmountable. Dalinar watches as thunderclasts bust through the wall and steal the king's drop. Yasna and Ivory realize that Renarin's spren has been corrupted. Seth discovers that Nin's plan involves joining Odium and the listeners because they are the original owners of the land. He decides to take responsibility for his own moral agency and about damn time. (laughs) 
In Shadesmar, Kaladin and the others distract the fused while Shallan tries to convince the Oathgate to help them. They steal the King's Drop. Yes. They are very intent on getting that fucking sphere. Yes. So much so that they send a Thunderclast, which this is the first time that anybody in this timeline has ever seen one of these things. Mm -hmm. And the first thing it goes for is that King's Drop. Mm -hmm. But it's never perfectly clear why. Why they want the King's Drop? Correct. Yes, Odium tells Venley it's an insurance policy yeah, he against says, something happening. Yeah, he but, says, that is merely a precaution, a last-minute addition I made to prevent a potential disaster. Mm-hmm. The, and then in this same chapter, you know, after they get the King's Drop and give it to the uh, Odium's version of the Edge Dancers right. who are zipping around trying to take it, the Thunderclass then start just destroying gemstones as much as they can. They're like stomping through the warehouse, scattering and crushing the gems. At least I, that's what I thought that they were doing. They were so the way that I read it is they busted into the reserve, mm-hmm. and then when they didn't find what they were looking for, they started just smashing things. Oh, okay, that could be because yeah. Ryson and Vistim were sneaking the King's Drop out in a palanquin. Oh, that's right. And yeah. then they it gets found later. Yeah, yeah. Okay, One, then makes, they found them. Okay, that makes more sense. Odium also tells Venli that he is after the conduit of his freedom, which he calls the Bane of Roshar. So he's he's got some plan for getting himself off of this planet. Well, yeah, and I think in 118 we figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we do have a little scene with Gox, the Emperor, and he is having qualms over leaving and abandoning his allies. But at the end, they find out that the Alethi, what it seems like the Alethi have turned on the Azish because they see Amaram's army attacking the city. And uh, he he assumes, everyone assumes that, oh, well, it was good that we didn't... Uh, didn't stick around. Didn't stick around, except he finds out then that Lyft has gone back to the battle. The thing I don't understand about the Azish is, and admittedly, I don't, I'm not looking at maps, I'm reading this on any reader, if there are close-up maps of the territory. I certainly don't have them, but I don't understand how the Voidbringers came in and landed on ships and the Azish left on ships and they didn't cross paths. Now, I know that there's a mention of them like hiding in a cove to wait out the storm, Mm -hmm. but it seems like that happened after they would have already crossed paths paths with them it's not really important Mm -hmm. but it's one of those things where i'm like i don't know like that's why i think i predicted last time that the azish would get destroyed on the ocean because Mm -hmm. i just saw these two naval forces headed towards each other and it seems like they just conveniently ducked 40 ships into a cove and then ducked out after the enemy navy passed by Okay, it's not really important. But. I mean, that never really occurred to me. I just assumed that, like, the Azish went north and the the other army was coming up from the... The other direction? The other direction. I don't think they were, though. I think they were coming from the... I think they were coming from the west. I would have to look at a map. I, I'm, yeah. I am sure that this is not something that Brandon Sanderson left out of his planning. Uh, yeah, you're, so you're right. I, I'm sure if we pulled up a map right now that 
that he would be vindicated, but, and we can if you want. Um, it seems counterproductive on a podcast. But it does. <laughs> see here? <laughs> you see right here? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> if they go around this thing and over here. <laughs> Please, listeners, chime in with maps on the Facebook page. <laughs> so over in Shadesmar, we're having an epic battle as well. Kaladin's being totally badass. And uh, we, we definitely see a turnaround from him. And he's kind of reflecting on he's how he's been doing so much better lately. And mm-hmm. that he's kind of chosen this purpose to protect Dalinar. And it seems to be really helping him. One of my favorite moments is Pattern saying, I do not like being stabbed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was just in that section, there's just it's. It's exciting. It's good to read, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of they go there, they go there, he goes yeah, here, yeah, blah, yeah. blah blah blah. It's it's yeah. not a lot that you can really comment on, right? And so we also have to talk about Nin and Seth, though. Yes, because this is a really important moment for Seth, and Nightblood is just a sheer delight in in all of this. But so we have Nin here explaining to Seth that, well, you know, actually, if you if you think about it. The listeners are the the true owners of the land. They were here first. So really, we should be on their side. And Nightblood says, don't be stupid. Let's go fight these guys. Yeah. <laughs> but my favorite, probably my favorite moment in this chapter is when Nightblood says, nobody owns me. Vivenna told me that I'm my own sword. And then, <laughs> and he, and then he says to Seth, didn't you spend a thousand years following the directions of a rock? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Seth kind of defends himself. He's like, well, I didn't have a choice. And then he kind of realizes, no, wait, it really was just a rock. And I really did have a choice. And that was his, you know, huge crisis before his death and and subsequent resurrection by Nin, that he realized that it really was him all along who decided to do those things as the assassin in white. Well, And Nightblood, you know, calls him out on it. Uh Uh-huh. In the end of the day, it was still just a rock. Right. Chapter 117 is called Champion with Nine Shadows. All of our characters step precariously towards disaster. In Shadesmar, Adolin gets stabbed and is only alive because his dead-eye spren intervenes. He rejoins Shallan and Kaladin, who is out of stormlight. Syl urges Kaladin to speak the next words. In the physical realm, Navani gets captured and Dalinar sends Lyft to steal back the king's drop. Lyft almost gets stomped by a thunderclass, but she's saved at the last minute by Seth, what? What? Who has decided that Dalinar will be his new master. Ash finds Talon. Renarin accepts his fate, and Odium agrees to a battle of champions. But then he chooses Dalinar as his champion. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Just I'm like I challenge you to a battle of champions. I agree. You're my champion. What? <laughs> just like, there's something so Monty Python about it, that. Yeah. I don't know. Something so like, what weighs more than a duck kind there, of thing? Yeah, there really is. <laughs> so I love in the beginning of this chapter, Dalinar stepping kind of towards this army and he's got his way of kings under his arm and he's like standing there alone. And and then he just looks down and Lyft is standing there. And she's like, what, did you forget to feed them? They've turned yeah. against you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And she's like, were you going to fight them on your own with a with, with a, a book? book? It's pretty cool. Reading is fundamental. <laughs> I think this chapter should be called, How the Hell is Aelin Not Dead? Right. 
He only got stabbed a little bit. He only got run through on a giant pike. Just a little. <laughs> to complete the Monty Python. He's not dead yet. He's only He's mostly dead. dead. I think I'll go for a walk now. <laughs> I mean, he got fucked up. Yeah. I thought I thought for sure he was going to die. For me, this was one of my, and at first, especially the first time reading this book through, was a part that I kind of like jumped up and was like, ah, you know, when when his dead eye jumps on the back of that fused, it's like, you're just like, I knew it. You know, all his like pouring kind of love into this sword yeah, and yeah. talking to it as if it was real before he even knew it was a spren. Um, you knew that was going to pay off or, or come to something somehow. So that's just a really amazing moment. Yeah, that was definitely a highlight of the section. Particularly because Brandon Sanderson does such a good job, even though he's surrounded by radiance and and all that. But in this moment, he's isolated, mm-hmm. and he really does, he like there's nobody there that has his back. Mm-hmm. You know, Shalon is doing some something else. Galadin's doing something like they nobody could step in to save him mm-hmm. at this point. And then the Dead Eye, which you're led to believe doesn't even have any intelligence right. at all, you know, sort of springs into life. So yeah, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a pretty awesome moment. But the most awesome moment in this chapter uh-huh. is an explosion of light appeared overhead. Yes. A ball of expanding radiance. Something dropped from the middle of it, trailing smoke, both black and white, glowing like a star. And it's Seth... And Nightblood. Yes! And the description of Nightblood just like running around just sucking in, mm-hmm. you know, this black smoke and being like, destroy! <laughs> it's know. so amazing, right? Oh my God, yeah. It, <laughs> all the parts with Seth to me in this section are pretty, are awesome. Mm-hmm. I have a quibble at the end, but I'll get to it mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah, so I think Seth, Nightblood, and Lyft might be like the magic trio. Yeah. Like, I really don't know if it gets better than that. It's not this. It's not in this section, but later when, when Lyft and Nightblood have their first interaction, it's it's really funny. But yeah, having Seth kind of, it's, oh, there's such a moment of catharsis when he finally like makes his choice and kind of comes over to the good side. It's such like a like a Darth Vader throwing the emperor into the the reactor core. It's like that it's that kind of feeling with that moment. And he, when he says our master has given us a task, you know? Yeah, so yeah. so maybe he hasn't completely taken responsibility for his own moral agency yet, yeah. but at least he's, you know, picked a good guy to He didn't pick a rock. He didn't It's a step up from a rock. I mean, it's what <laughs> we'll you can say, say about Dalinar. It's what you can say about Dalinar. But I, I, I think that, that Lyft and Seth are going to be a great foils to each other as well because they're so different. Yeah. Um, so also in this chapter, before we get to the big stuff with Odium at the end, Ash goes and finds Town Yeah. for what is still no discernible reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than, you know, to find him, I, mm-hmm. I get that, but we still don't really have any idea what those two are going to do right in any of this you know what 
part they're going to play. Well, I also really noted her, the severity of her compulsions and how all of the yeah. heralds and how, and a Nin in his conversation with Seth tells him uh, he that he thinks he's getting worse. And he, he talks about how some of the skybreakers have chosen to follow him as a, a moral code. And he's like, I, but I don't know if that's a great idea because I'm getting worse. So we've seen all, all of the heralds so far are really struggling with, they're, they're all completely mad at this point and getting worse. And so it, it's, in, it's just interesting because, you know, these heralds have been built up over so many books as being mm-hmm. these amazing creatures. And we know Nin uh, is very, very powerful. But, you know, for these two to sort of pop up and have this reveal, but then nothing come from it yet is a little bit perplexing. Not that there wasn't plenty of awesome stuff in this section, Mm -hmm. and there's still more book to go. I suspect it's simply that we haven't gotten it yet. Uh, But this is an interesting place to put sort of that discovery. We also have a moment over in on the Shadesmar side where, so these characters have now gotten to the point where they're, they're at the, it seems like they're at the end of their rope, you know? Out of Stormlight... Uh, Adolin, as you mentioned, has been skewered. He's bleeding everywhere. It's it's not looking good. And Syl turns to Kaladin and says, "Type the words, say the oh, words." Yeah. You know, so we're I forgot that was in this chapter. Kind of yeah, yeah. Setting up for a re- repeat of this pattern we've seen over and over, which is you know, Kaladin gets into a crisis. He finds these words. All of a sudden, explosion of power saves the day. So setting that expectation now. And I just think it's kind of neat how that gets built up and then subverted, as we know, at the end of this section. Yeah. But the last uh, part that we haven't really spent a lot of time on yet for this mm-hmm. chapter is Odium and Dalinar. And I think that what Odium does to Dalinar in this chapter is the most epic, just the tip, <laughs> in literary history. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You want this. This is what you want. Are you sure this is, this is what you, you want, sure? right? This is what you want. You know this is what you want. <laughs> just the tip, Dalinar. And and yeah, like I said, there's just something so like like it's like the most bizarre thing. Like that like okay, it, I it, pick you as my chance. It is truly bizarre, yeah. <laughs> what what I'm not gonna fight for, whoa. <laughs> oh, and real quick, so we talked didn't talk about Renarin. So again, this is nothing really happens at this point. Yasna is still kind of slowly stepping towards him, but <laughs> one step at a time. <laughs> but we get a little look into Renarin's mind and we we find out that he knows that he's not a radiant, or he says to himself, I know I'm not a radiant. He knows that Gliss is corrupted, that that's something that happened to his friend Gliss before they were bonded. Um, but we also see kind of what his power is and that he's seeing different moments in time simultaneously. He's seeing the golden path. Yeah, exactly. He is um, the uh, he is the Paul Atreides of this series. Um, he so, is no Paul Atreides. No. But one thing I noted that Gliss says to him is, I will give you my sorrow. So we've just seen a lot of talk about, give me your pain, you know, give me your passion, kind of exchanging feelings sort of thing. And he knows that Yasna is coming behind him to strike him down. But the thing that seems to bother him the most is what he sees about 
his father yeah kneeling before odium yeah he knows he knows all of this is he knows what's going to happen to him or what he believes is going to happen to him chapter 118 is called the weight of it all so odium's all like you're my champion and dalinar's like no and navani and seth are totally badass but kaladin kind of sucks Yasna decides not to kill her baby cousin. Dalinar decides not to give up his pain. Teft mopes and Amaram swallows a rock. <laughs> and that is the best I could do. You know what? I, that's impressive. I don't a know. lot that happens it's a in lot this that goes on. So yeah, we start with this chapter with Dalinar being like, yeah, no. Yeah. What? Dalinar, you do not realize your importance. You have only begun to discover your power. Join me, and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. Like, I'm like, seriously, that could be in the book. You could I mean, just put that right there. I know. That's why, when you, were, that's why when you were like with the, the Emperor moment, I'm like, I'm like, Duchess, don't ruin my... <laughs> what are you doing? I didn't read your notes, even. <laughs> All seems lost. How can Dalinar stand before such hatred? How could anyone stand before such pure hatred? I mean, is that rhetorical? Am I supposed to answer that? No, it's totally rhetorical. Were you going somewhere? Okay. (laughs) So I, this, this whole part with Dalinar just makes me, made me think a whole lot. So Dalinar's crisis is so profound to me. Um, this temptation to not take responsibility for your own feelings. And that's what Odium is offering to him. And he's taking him back through his life and saying, all of these terrible things that you've done that have tormented you, they're not really your responsibility. That was my fault. You know, let let go of your guilt. I'll take all of the blame for it. Well, and that's what Dalinar's whole backstory is about. Mm -hmm. This entire, this entire thousand page novel. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you're someone who's ever struggled in any kind of codependent relationship, like that's what Dalinar is being offered here. You know, on either side, you know, on one side mm-hmm. of a codependent relationship, you've got um, someone who doesn't want to take responsibility for their own feelings, and the other side is someone who wants to distract themselves from their own stuff by taking responsibility for someone mm-hmm. else. So that's it's explored really neatly here, and. Just his the temptation to give up your own emotional agency, um, so fitting with everything else that is going on in these books, you know, um, just becoming a slave to his passion, which Odium represents, you know, and in a universe where when we talked about this a lot, where emotional intelligence is kind of the linchpin of the of magical abilities, mm-hmm. it just makes such a clever villain to have your villain be the embodiment of passion and emotions. Yeah, yeah, it does, yeah. But what Dalinar ends up realizing is that if he gives up his guilt and pain, then he's robbed of his progress. So let's stick with the Dalinar, since we sort of started in that section of the chapter. Let's sort of stick with that, you know. So we get, that that all happens kind of in the beginning of the chapter. Mm -hmm. And then we get towards the end of the chapter, after the just the tip moment and all the, 40 days in the desert, and I can give you everything you wanted. Dalinar, we have this uh, this line. Inside his fist, he somehow found a golden sphere, 
a solitary glory sprint. Mm -hmm. The most important step a man can take. It's not the first one, is it? It's the next one. Mm -hmm. Yes, you dummy. (laughs) Always the next step, Dalinar. The referee picked up Dalinar's hand. He let it go. It dropped. He picked up his hand one more time. He let it go. It drops. He picks up his hand, his limp, lifeless hand, one more time. He lets it go. It begins to drop. But what's this? (laughs) Trembling, bleeding, agonized Dalinar forced arrows to his lungs (laughs) and spoke a single ragged sentence. You cannot have my pain. And Hulkamania goes wild, brother. (laughs) That is That is... A very apt characterization of this book in a weird, anachronous way. It is as absolutely the perfect explanation. Dalinar's tearing off his army torn shirt. Yeah. He's stomping around, blonde, bald, mullet flailing He's in the air. Absolutely the perfect description of that moment. Yeah, and, and it's you're we so built up from in America Sorry. from Renarin in the previous chapter being like. Oh no, my there's no way around it. He's his now. You know, it's yeah, like yeah, you're yeah. you're led to believe that it's it. It's a done deal. Maybe Dalinar is gonna be the bad guy. And, and for some it's reason it's never just the tip. Oh, never. No, it's never just the tip. It always goes all the way. So why would you think anything different's gonna happen here? No, I mean, especially when your date is called Odium. That's literally <laughs> his name is Odium. You are not you are not getting out of that truck. <laughs> It's wrong. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> so that is the that's yeah the the big happening for this chapter is mm-hmm. is what we see happen with with Dalinar. The hands stayed up. Everyone else, we kind of get a little um, glimpse into everyone else. They're all kind of in the same place, um, other than Navani, who is totally a badass with her pain fabrial. I thought that was kind of a cool thing. Kill the man, said the captain holding Navani. We don't need him. Kamakal, which is a terrible name, <laughs> struggled to stand. They pushed him back against the wall, one pulling out a dagger. Navani seized the arm of the man holding her. Go, go, gadget, pain fabrial. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened. I mean, that's a pretty badass device to have. It is. You know. She's like, I did it to myself a few times. Pissed my pants. <laughs> Great for three days into constipation. You'll let that, you'll let everything go. But the um the other note that I have here in this chapter is the stuff that happens with Renarn and Yasna. Yes. It says most threats to a dynasty came from within. This is in Yasna's perspective. Mm-hmm. Renarn was obviously corrupted. She had to do what was right, even when it was so, so hard. She prepared to swing, but then Renarin turned and looked at her, tears streaming down his face. He met her eyes, and he nodded. And suddenly they were young again. Yasna froze, as if standing at the edge of a cliff. Wind blew through the temple, carrying with it a pair of spren in the form of golden spheres bobbing in the current. Yasna dismissed her sword. That's the moment. All In this whole section, to me, that is by far the most impart, important moment. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting that we begin in chapter 114 
and the thing that Dalinar wants is, and that the Night Watcher can't give him is forgiveness. And in my mind, it's this forgiveness in this section mm-hmm. that is the thing that allows the whole tide to be reversed. Mm-hmm. That's that's what all of this gets turned on. So at the beginning of this chapter, I said, how can anybody stand up to such pure, terrible hatred? Mm-hmm. And in this moment, we see it. This is how. It's, it's through love. Mm-hmm. That's how you fight it. Mm-hmm. It's in this moment of forgiveness. And then as a result of that moment of forgiveness, that's when Renarin realizes that the die hasn't already been cast. The bell hasn't already been rung. Mm-hmm. What I'm seeing is a possibility, not an eventuality. There's still an opportunity. There's still hope. You know, and all of that stems, in my mind, from this moment. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I, I completely agree. This is such a profound moment between them. And what I think makes it even more poignant is the fact that this is Yasna completely going against her character. Everything that's ingrained in her is to be ruthless, to be um, to have logic at as the the utmost driving factor of everything she does. She's and, re- she's Teravangian on a very good day. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And even her her friend Ivory saying, "I can't make sense of this." You know this this doesn't make any sense. This is not logical. This is not. Uh, this does not line up with the data, you know? And when she acts against what her intellect is telling her to do based on her feelings, that is such a, not a Yasna thing to do. Yeah. But we, she realizes that, that yes, uh, his friend seems to be corrupted, but that doesn't seem to be making him evil. And that's kind of a greater mystery. We've, we've had it hinted at with the, um, the spren that, Shalon met in Kolinar, mm-hmm. who was the spren who was, I, I believe, is it Saja Anat? I can't. Yeah. Okay. Saja Anat, who, who does the corrupting. She's like Odium's spren corrupter. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it seems like over the millennia of her being a free agent, she's not maybe necessarily Team Odium anymore. Well, and I think we see a few examples of the line's not being super clear. You mm-hmm. know, Venley has a spren that's not a void spren mm-hmm. that we, you know, we don't normally see. There's the corrupted one from Renarn. So there's a handful of examples of this bonding in ways that, you know, like what happens in this chapter or earlier in this in this section is the Odium bonds void spren to Amaram soldiers. Yes. So we're seeing this this perversion, for lack of a better word, of the sort of normal rules of, you know, this camp does this, this does this, this does that, you know, and it's all these sort of twists on the normal uh, set of rules that is that it's going to allow our good guys to escape what would otherwise be a clear cut landslide getting their asses kicked by Odium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it feels earned, too. It doesn't, you know, none of this feels like kind of a, a deus ex machina or or, or, a, or an unearned plot turn. This all feels like something that's been well-crafted from the beginning. No, and I think I think it's the, the idea that it is 
forgiveness and love and hope that turns this around. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the only thing that could feel earned. Mm-hmm. Seth walks in with night blood, and that's a badass weapon and mm-hmm. chops down a thunderclast and, <laughs> you know, thunderclast. Right. And I was like, damn. Cuts it like, in half. I mean, that's a, that's a badass shit right there. You know, but if, if, Kaladin walked through the oath gate with, you know, you know, and he had 47 spears sticking out of his shard plate and just ran through everybody, ah, stabbing them, <laughs> you know, and just wiped out armies. That wouldn't be satisfying. Like mm-hmm. a, another over the top weapon, yeah. you know, wouldn't, wouldn't do it for me. Chapter 119 is called Unity. Dalinar ends up not being possessed by Odium after all. He levels up big time and unites the freaking three realms, incidentally bringing Kaladin, Shallan, and Adolin home. He takes responsibility for his darkest deeds and becomes capital U Unity. Teft also makes a power move, speaking the third ideal and gaining his shard blade. The wave of power that Dalinar emits saves Seth and Lyft and chases off Odium, who leaves his army behind. Talon regains his wits and he and Ash join the team. They now have nine orders of radiant represented and ready for an epic Sanderson battle. So the Sanderlanch. The Sanderlanch. So we didn't really talk about in the last chapter. Seth and Lyft were not in a good way. Oh yeah. Um, because as Nightblood is, yes, he can chop a thunderclass in half, but he also completely drains your life force. Well, and not only that, but kind of a kind of an Achilles heel to uh, Nightblood is uh, if you take. The sheath. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the nuclear option, you're, but... You're toast. You're fucked. Yeah. Like, you know, and that edge dancer, the void dancer, you know, snatches that, and I'm like, what What are you going to do now? Like, yeah. you're, you're, you're fucked. Like, I, I loved how... And I love it when, like, a low level... Not that this was the edge dancer Voidbringer was a low, but kind of a low level baddie yeah, pulls a, not, a power move like that. Yeah, that's a no like, name. That was really smart. It's a no name bad guy. You yeah, know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one thing Nightblood can't cut through is his own sheath. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, without it, Seth can't stop. So it's what I think is really cool to think about is how, you know, when we met Nightblood, they're on a planet where the, the magic system is based on breaths. And to realize that it's, yeah, breaths and stormlight seem to be the same type of thing. Or at yeah, least yeah. that the nightblood does eat stormlight. And once he starts eating through all of the stormlight that you have, then he's taking your life force. And so um, Seth is overcome once his stormlight gets drained. And so Lyft goes over and puts her hands on his head. And then she's starting to be, you know, overcome by it as well. But when Dalinar unites the realms and becomes unity... There's a wave of investiture that just, you know, blows everybody apart, and so mm-hmm. that kind of saves them. That's the, that's the only part so far that I didn't like. That's the only part that did sort of feel a little Deus Ex Machina with the the explosion of power. No, not that part. That made sense to me, specifically as it relates to Nightblood, because, like, we have set up a rule that like. Nightblood is in the sheath. He's fine. He's out of the sheath. He's a nuclear weapon. He's going off and until he's in the sheath. And we get that sort of actualized in this, you know, whole section. And then it doesn't get resolved by somebody finding 
the sheath, it gets resolved by this huge explosion of stormlight that it's like, with enough stormlight, you could overcome his limitation. Well, they do find the sheath. But after the fact. Well, eventually. I mean, I think as long as Nightblood is being fed stormlight and probably has just never been in the presence of such a massive amount of stormlight. Um, like if you put Nightblood in the middle of a high storm, you would probably... Like like Seth didn't start suffering from the effects of Nightblood until all of the considerable amount of stormlight that he was carrying was gone. True. He's That's able true. to get through most of the battle and then all of a sudden... You know, like Vasher was able to use night blood for shorts amount of time mm-hmm. because he had so many breaths that yeah, yeah. he was able to safely allow some of them to be consumed. That's kind of the way I saw it. Yeah, I guess so. And I, and I think that with Dalinar, <laughs> you're <laughs> you're fucking with me. <laughs> you're lucky you're all the way over there. <laughs> Listen. A long time ago, I learned to put distance between us while we podcast. <laughs> I mean, we can continue on this sort of pedantic battle if you want. Uh, so Odium begins this chapter going, well, I never. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I get that he's sort of in a avatar form. Right. So he's not like as uber powerful you right. know as he, as he could be but he de- he does become pretty weak at this point well you know? he certainly has been crafting these plans for many millennia and then to have it all of a sudden well and i think what i thought was important was when dalinar becomes you and, and it's such a cool moment where he he's got his hands stretched out and he claps them together and um he says i am unity you know but Odium looks at him and says, no, we killed you. And so for that moment, I think he's he's taken on the aspect of Honor, who was his you know great enemy. So that probably freaked him out a little bit. I thought that through the process of this happening, that somehow he restored Honor to life. Well, he restored his, what's called his perpendicularity. And I think at the end, what is, he says to the Stormfather that he's become something new. So the combination of him, because the Stormfather is like, well, when Odium takes Dalinar over, the Stormfather is kicked out. And when he comes back, he's like, I've bonded with men before. There's, that's, this was something new. Yeah, he says, the remnants of honor, your soul, Mm -hmm. and my will. And my will. Will have formed something new. Okay, all right. And my Blackthorn. The remnants of a god, the soul of a storm, and my blackthorn. <laughs> I mean, you're not making that up. That's actually what he's. <laughs> what is going on here? I'm gonna say my prayers and eat my vitamins and do whatever Vince McMahon tells me to do, brother. <laughs> so this is the unite them after all this time. Yes, unite this, them. Not the people. He didn't want to. <laughs> what the glory spread? <laughs> No, you dummy. That's what he's been this whole time. He's like, I need to unite the Alethi. Oh, no, I need to unite everyone. Oh, wait. <laughs> Uniting the realms. The three realms. Listen, I don't know that I want honor back. He sounds like kind of a pill. I mean, 
I mean, 80% of leadership is communication, and you left shitty instructions. <laughs> totally. So this is the part where Dalinar really puts out there, we realize the decision that he's made and kind of the rationale behind it. And uh, he talks about, you know, if I if I pretend like I didn't do those things, I can't have grown into someone else. And he, he realizes that if the journey is before the destination, but it can't be a journey if there's no beginning. So if I deny, you know, my beginning, which in, in Dalinar's case is a, a pretty horrific place, but if he denies it, then the whole journey is gone. And that's such a, I mean, I, I do, I just get chills thinking about that. I think that's such an important life lesson that everyone has to go through. And it's stated so well here. Well, yeah, and also doesn't it, doesn't it rob power from grace? You know, doesn't it, doesn't it steal power from God when you say, I'm, too bad to be redeemed Mm -hmm. when you do what Amram did. Well, yeah, and and Amram is offered a choice in this chapter to to try and start his own journey, and he he can't do it. He somehow finds a way to become more of a dick. Somehow, he does swallow a demon stone. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I was referring to. (laughs) I mean, you you didn't think he could become much more of a dick. And um, okay, what else? We have we have Yasna and Renarin racing across the rooftops holding hands. I love that. Yeah. That was really, really nice. Um and I loved Sil saying to Kaladin. So Kaladin, again, so chapters ago we've set up this expectation. Oh, yeah. Kaladin's gonna say the fourth ideal, he's gonna get a sharp blade, he's gonna come in and save the day, and then all of a sudden, womp, womp, like I can't I can't do it. And we don't even get to know what it is, you he, know? He couldn't he just, perform. He just, he's think, so we, the only hint we have as to what this ideal might be is that he can't stop thinking about the people he's failed. And then he decides he can't say the words. That might be my second favorite part of, mm-hmm. of this, that he flounders and can't do mm-hmm. it. Because again, I think of the alternate, right? I think, mm-hmm. of, you know, wh- what if that had happened, right? And then I go back to, like, what Kaladin has acted like mm-hmm. for the whole back half of this book. And how can he live up to an ideal because he says some magic words when just a couple chapters ago he's like, let's just kill them all and take the boat, mm-hmm. right? How, you know? Yeah. And I sort of have to th- think, you know, that that is why he's not able to move forward. Not maybe not that specifically, but I mean the whole back half of this book for for Kaladin hasn't been good. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes catatonic in a crucial moment which is or isn't you know justified depending mm-hmm. on your point of view. He steps out of it, they go into Shadesmar, he's just kind of a mopey dick the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, and then for him to be like, I know by the power of Grayskull, mm-hmm. you know, and charge through yeah. it. Like, I, I, that wouldn't have been satisfying, you know? So the fact that he f- can't do it, mm-hmm. I, I thought was a was really a good moment. I agree. And what I like even more is that Syl then says to him, maybe you don't have to save everyone, Kaladin. Maybe it's time for someone to save you. Like, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is not like him abandoning his ideals. Correct. And it's yeah. going to kill her. It's like this is him not taking the next step because he, 
for He's whatever reason. Yeah. But and then that's like okay. Like yeah, exactly. you don't always have to knock it out of the park every single time, you well, know? Yeah, I mean, you know, Dalinar takes a massive step forward, but but again, it's you know, it's coming off of the back of right. 50 years of being a fucking tyrant, right? <laughs> right. You know, Kaladin has um you know, Kaladin in retrospect has just kind of been a little bit mopey. Right. You know, like he hasn't he hasn't had a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. since the last time he swore an ideal yeah. to really grow. Yeah, I think that that is a really neat moment. And then we have Teft also going ahead to swear an ideal and we don't have as much of Teft's backstory um but we have a really neat conversation with his friend where he is arguing again that I can't, I'm not worthy, I'm broken, yada, yada. And, um, but she says, but that's what the words are about. You know, it's about, and it just, it dovetails so neatly with, with Dalinar's journey and just this mm-hmm. decision to just take the next step. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Teft does. So we'll see what happens with him in the future. And then we have Talon wake up, which is... Yeah. Kind of a big moment. This is a... Yeah, so in the last chapter, Ash had found him, but he was still sort of repeating the, Calic will teach you the right. making, you know, the words that he always says. And now he's, she sort of slaps him out of it. He says, you know, she's just apologizing again. Right. You know, seeking forgiveness, right? Just, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that we left you to be tortured for 4,000 years. <laughs> Awkward face emoji. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and uh, he's like, no, what a gift you've given them. Time mm-hmm. to recover for once mm-hmm. between desolations. Time to progress. They've never had a chance before. What a wonderful thing. You know, and she's like, no, you can't be like this. You have to hate me, hate me, hate me, please. And uh, but again, that's not that's not what this is about. You know, that's not what mm-hmm. any of this is about. Yeah. And if just fits in so beautifully with the theme you mentioned earlier of of forgiveness being the mm-hmm. thing that's going to, to See be the, the ultimate weapon. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have a story of good against evil, mm-hmm. then make it really about mm-hmm. you know good versus evil and the tr- and and good because because the good guys not because they're perfect but because they value and seek the things that are. Well said. Damn, Duke, you're on fire tonight. <laughs> so what happens when you go five weeks without podcasting? <laughs> you build up a lot of, you build up some word fire. Uh, <laughs> so I, I noted this one. Um, this is more of just sort of a um, an observation, less along those themes. But it says, mm-hmm. this is uh, Yasna running around with uh, Renar, and the sword vanished as she slapped her hand into the wall of the building behind mm-hmm. her. And the wall puffed away into smoke, causing the roof to crash down. And then later, uh, she swept her hand upward. The air coalesced into stone, forming steps that she took, barely breaking her stride to climb the rooftop. And this is the cover of Oathbringer. Yes. And also why we knew she was never dead. Well, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Because that looks like Yasna, and it's definitely not something we've ever seen her do before on Uh the cover. But this is, we don't, this is as... Well, I guess we get the titular line in this one mm-hmm. over and over again because the right. Earthbringer comes up a lot. But this is that the titular moment of, right. or the cover. We got to come up with a better name for that. What's the How, cover moment? The cover moment. I don't know. I'm stuck on titular. Sorry, you said it too many <laughs> times. <laughs> but this part is pretty badass. 
Yeah, yeah. Yasna's is like crystallizing mofos in midair. She's like, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's the yeah. She did that thing where she turned. Yeah, she threw them back, and they everything they touched, and then everything they touched crystallized. And she's just like pow, 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 that's just pretty. like that. <laughs> Y'all didn't see my hand motions, but they were pretty good. They were there. <laughs> One thing I noted is that Renarin. This is kind of a on a different topic, but. Renarin thinks of Gliss as being inside of him. And I've never heard another Radiant talk about their spren that way. You yeah. know, when we have Syl, she's always kind of floating around, or Pattern is will crawl onto Shallan, but Renarin thinks of Gliss as being inside his heart. And Yasna also mentions Gliss sort of coming out of Renarin. So the other thing I noted is that when you get Renar, now this is after. Uh, they're running around holding hands on the rooftop. Right. Young hearts be freed. And it's a Rod Stewart video, except they're cousins. They're not, cousins. Yeah, we don't yeah, want to never go mind. there. Take, take that back. <laughs> rewind that. Rewind that. Um, when they're running around, you know, he's thinking about Gliss and, or, or talking to Gliss, and everything is positive, like, from mm-hmm. Gliss. So it's not, it's not like, Gliss, again, Gliss was corrupted because of something that happened, mm-hmm. not that Gliss is a Bad spread. Right. <laughs> bad, bad spread. <laughs> I like this interaction between Lift yes. and Nightblood. Yes. I knew I liked you, a voice said in Lift's mind. The sword. <laughs> so it was a spread? You almost ate him, Lift said. You almost starve and ate him. Oh, I wouldn't do that, the voice said. <laughs> she seemed completely baffled, voice growing slow. Like she was drowsy, but... Maybe I was just really, really hungry. Well, if suppose she couldn't blame anybody for that. <laughs> yeah, I love that part. Listen, if Lyft and Nightblood start like a buddy cop show on TBS. Oh my gosh. The world will suffer. <laughs> It'll end badly. I also really like the moment where the Scooby gang shows up finally, kind of steps out of the perpendicularity. Mm-hmm. Renarin finally gets healed. Uh, uh, Renarin finally heals Adolin of his slight case of skewering. Slight <laughs> case of liver He's on the fine. outside. <laughs> He's fine. <laughs> Just a mild impalement. <laughs> the Stormfather said, you know, they Ash and Town show up and just stand around. Yeah. Just stand around. And Dalinar says, You are in the presence of divinities. He says, I've grown accustomed to it. I've grown accustomed to it. <laughs> only Dalinar can get it. You can only have one character that says stuff like that. And See, that's Dalinar. Dalinar's seen everything. <laughs> Just take take great moments in history and then Photoshop Dalinar's head in the background. Right. <laughs> He's been at all of them. Yes. So, but this is, the, I finally got, because later uh, the Stormfather says, uh, those two, Town mm-hmm. and Ash, only make nine. The missing 10th, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I finally got that this is the the nine shadows. So Dalinar mm-hmm. and the nine radiance mm-hmm. are his shadows. That That's what Kaladin was seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we... God damn, you're right. And we thought, I thought, that that was Odium's champion and then and the unmade right. like that's what i thought it was yeah but it's not that at all it's a different representation but they wonder who the missing 10th is and she would have been there mm-hmm. but she was busy at her graduation ceremony from evil you right 
Did you, you, you figure that oh, out? Oh, yeah. She, okay. We don't have a dust bringer, and right. that's one of the... I, it seems, that what is one thing that seemed odd to me, that they're like, who's the 10th? But they like have totally met this chick, and that she's like been volunteering to work the Oath Gate a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm the oh, most wait. evil dust bringer in the Tri-County area. <laughs> Doofenshmirtz, Evil Spread Incorporated. <laughs> right. Now, okay, so here's my my nitpicky part, though. Okay. Seth shows up. I serve Dalinar Colon, and they're all like, you're part of the gang now. That is actually the next note I was going to say, is that Dalinar does take Seth's return pretty matter-of-factly. Like, like, oh, hey, the assassin in white, you killed my brother. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, we just experienced a massive betrayal uh-huh. of people we've known for our entire lives. Yeah. We know you are the assassin who killed my brother and all these, but uh, I'm in a trusting mood. <laughs> the, only, the only thing I can think is that the... Ex- well, and here's the thing. Moving forward, like Dalinar seems a little different. Like he's... Like something has clicked in him, and I I think there's some kind of supernatural thing going on there Mm -hmm. where he's kind of taken on part. Because he also seems to just kind of know things. He kind of looks at Seth and is like, okay, so we have a a skybreaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Seth doesn't show up and say, I'm a skybreaker. He's not wearing a name tag. So, yeah, he's he's not wearing a name tag. And he also just kind of looks at Town and Ash and kind of knows what orders they... True, yeah. So I I would think there's, there's some kind of knowledge he's getting maybe from his union with honor that yeah that that part of it was the only part of it that i kind of shook my head at right those three just sort of showing up out of the blue and him being like well it says here you're on the side of good so (laughs) so i guess i guess you're on the side of good now you know i mean i would i would i would wonder if it's the influence of being united especially with the spiritual realm which is where magic and investiture comes from, because we find out that that's what that's where Stormlight comes from. So, yeah. mm. who knows what he what he saw or what he kind of knows now? Yeah. So then they they prep for the battle, and Dalinar says, "The enemy brought a very big stick to this battle, and I'm going to take it away." And Stick said, hey, I never wanted anything to do with this. I told you guys I just wanted to be a stick. (laughs) And that's a callback. (laughs) Nobody asked me. And when they did, I said no. All right. Good section. All right. Are you ready for some listener interactions? Yes, I am. All right. So we will start with Twitter. And our first note comes from, our first question comes from Joshua Ray, who is at Rotated DC2 on Twitter. He says, I might be too late. (laughs) You are not too late. (laughs) No, we are quite late. Uh, But I feel, excuse me, how does it feel to have so many characters who we've been following separately all converging in one place uh, after all this time? Also... How hard was it to not keep reading to the end of the book? <laughs> Actually, not as hard as you might think, because 
so much happens. I mean, yes, there's still mm-hmm. more to go, but mm-hmm. so much happens, and it it feels like a lot of the big emotional beats have already happened. Well, yeah, there's a nice little mini arc here as we're kind of gearing yeah. up for the big battle. Yes, but we've had a lot of nice resolutions. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't that difficult, but yes, it was very very nice to have everybody sort of converging in one place. Different from a lot of the Brandon Sanderson stuff because I just don't think we've ever had this many, you know, main characters involved in one event, mm-hmm. you know, and and the jumping back and forth is different than a lot of other stuff we've read. But mm-hmm. but it was it was quite enjoyable. I enjoyed this section quite a lot. Daniel Wilson, who's at uh, Cantor Valid Name, says my question is disregarding conventional taxonomy. If you were an avocado. Would you identify as a fruit or a vegetable? The world needs to know. Vegetable. Clearly a vegetable. I I, I mean, we just think of fruit as being sweet, vegetable being savory. That's how I classify it. Well, yeah, and I just don't think of getting, you know, getting my good fats from fruit. It has been made. It has been rendered. (laughs) That was easy. (laughs) (laughs) Good question, though. Uh, Mr. Ramos 79 and Mr. Ramos 79 on Twitter said, uh, are y'all making any more infomercials? Those were hilarious. Oh, nice. Actually, I think that's the first like call out we've had for those because mm-hmm. those took a lot of time to make. <laughs> so no, I haven't, I haven't really, um, haven't really thought of any good ones recently, but, but that'll be something we'll, the we'll have for inspiration to strike again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Keenan Hope, who is at me, am so smart on Twitter says, are there any plot lines that you are particularly interested in exploring further once Rhythm of War is released? Uh, I want to see more about the unmade and the listeners. Like mm-hmm. that's, those are the air and Shinovar. Mm-hmm. Those are the areas. I don't know that that's plot lines per se, but those are the yeah. things I'd like to see more of. What about you? Because you can start answering these type of questions now. I, I can't. Yeah, I mean, definitely getting more into Shinovar and the Dawn Singers, which kind of just realizing it, kind of connecting for me that, like, oh yeah, the listeners are the Dawn Singers. I mean, I I knew that, but I was just kind of like, oh yeah, you know. So definitely a little bit more about the history of where the humans were before they came to Roshar, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. All right, and so now to Facebook. So Gordon Ross says, after finally getting some lift POV in this book, do you agree that Stormlight would benefit from more lift chapters? And which other chapters would you like more of? Teravangian, Rock, Adolin, Wit or fewer of Kaladin, Dalinar, Shallan. So I'm always for more lift. Absolutely. Um, I, now that Seth is like Seth's new arc, I am loving Seth's chapters. Yeah, the the Seth chapters in this book were the most interesting Seth chapters. I would agree with that. Well, especially again the combination of him with. Nightblood and, and just their lift. and lift yeah. their all of their interplays and you have the you know Seth who on one hand is like overly serious overthinks everything he's, and then he's like if it's possible like he's a less interesting Kaladin right so he needs right but then you put him with 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 Nightblood who is uh you know just the the opposite he's like completely literal doesn't overthink anything just just 
you know, calls Seth out on all his stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, so those those have been really fun. I would always like more Taravangian chapters because those mm-hmm. are fascinating. I'd like to see a rock point of view. Mm-hmm. Like I'd like to see more of that. Um, and to this point, I could deal with less Kaladin chapters. Yeah. But but he's set up to have kind of a good right. spring back. I don't want to call yeah. it... I mean, it's not a heel turn. He hasn't gone bad or anything. Right. But he's, he's been kind of mopey. But he's set up to have a little bit of a redemption. Gordon Ross also says, I'm 90% sure that at this point, Adolin has romantic feelings for Kaladin, even if he's not aware of it himself yet. <laughs> How many thousand more pages before we find out if Kaladin reciprocates? <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. I mean, Adolin is nothing if not effusive. Right. Um, and he, his affection for Shallan seems more chummish than romantic maybe i'm just maybe i'm just seeing things yeah i mean i I think when he met shallan he was certainly very struck by her i just don't know that i've ever he's kind of written the way that brandon sanderson writes romantic relationships do you know what i'm saying like not romantic i mean (laughs) he did all right in warbringer Yes, and that was really outside, kind of outside of the box for him, though. And, and he has said that in interviews as well. There's not a lot of chemistry between those two. That's interesting. That's an interesting. That is an interesting question. thing to speculate about. And, and he, he certainly does not seem upset when Shalon is eyeing up Kaladin. He's kind of like, well, <sighs> do you blame her? <laughs> <laughs> he is awesome. Have you seen that bottle of Pantene? I mean,. <laughs> Theogram Brown says, what is the fourth ideal then? It's a phrase that Kaladin is really, really reluctant to say. <laughs> so I, I think I'm right when I state that the fourth ideal is I'm a stupid moron with an ugly face and a big butt and my butt smells <laughs> and I like to kiss my own butt. Yeah, I think that's it. Honor was going through a latent anal stage when he (laughs) wrote the fourth ideal. What is that from? Oh, it is from something, isn't it? All right, Theo, now you have to tell us what that's from. It's going to drive me crazy. Is it The Simpsons? It sounds very Homer Simpson or uh, Bart Simpson. All right, someone someone write on and tell us what that's about. How's it going? What that is from. and so what, but really, what do you think the fourth ideal is? Oh, I have no, no, no clue. Like, um, Theo, it, it's a bunch of words about I'll do this and positive and affirmation and gosh darn it, people like me. Like, <laughs> um, Theo Graham Brown also says, so Odium could always just control humans, but he didn't get around to it until now or honor could stop him. This really felt like one of those random extra bad guy power moments that's meant to ratchet up the tension just contributes to me starting to not care about the resolution. The good guys are also out utterly outnumbered and outgunned that only some kind of miracle will save them. 
And Kaladin going nuts with Stormlight for book one's finale isn't a miracle. It carefully sets up as the conceit of the story. Likewise, Kaladin rescuing the king isn't even a miracle, nor is it foregone in the book two. We could reasonably expect Elokar might die, but Cal could still rescue Dalinar. The Sanderlanch is going to happen here and the good guys will triumph, but I already know. I can't even guess how. It'll just happen because it's that sort of story. I don't know if that's a question. I think (laughs) Theo's sort of venting a little. (laughs) Yeah, that's all right. But any thoughts there? Um, so my, my reaction to that is, um, I do not think that Odium could always control humans. I think that honor not being around really changed the game. And I think that we, that Ash says something to that extent. Well, and I think um, it goes, it goes back to that idea that we're just now starting to see people be able to kind of subvert the rules of right. what Spren can bond with what. Right. Well, and I think the Stormfather says to Dalinar, like, like what's going? Like I, I think when Dalinar says uh, he says I will take responsibility for my actions, the Stormfather is like those words are accepted. Wait, what? What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the rules are kind of being changed. Um, the the stakes are being upped. That's my thought. Gordon Ross says, so was it cultivation or odium who took away Dalinar's memories? The relevant chapter strongly suggested it was cultivation, but is it odium who has been slowly restoring them at critical moments? Why bother? Um, I think cultivation says to Dalinar, your memories will grow back. What I'm taking from you will grow back. I would like to know if they're coming back sort of in the time that they came back is... Was that a part of her plan to sort of reveal things to him, mm-hmm. you know, at a certain time when he would be able to handle it? Or, you know, you know, did she know that this was going to come down? It, it, like, it almost kind of seems like that's, that is the case. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. his question is, why would Odium bother restoring the memories? Which, if it was from Odium, yeah, 100%. No, no reason why he would. But even if it is cultivation, what what would be the advantage to it other than what happens at the end when he has to face down uh, Odium and be able to understand and take responsibility for what he did, which he wouldn't be able to do if he didn't recall those memories. So it almost seems to me like she knew what she was doing when she... set them to return at that pace. So in chapter 115, there's a part where Dalinar says, is starting to question, why did his memories have to return? And then he thinks to himself, does it matter? And he says, well, it depends on the answer to a question. What is the most important step a man can take? Mm, mm-hmm. So that's kind of addressed and he thinks about it. And, and I agree with you. I think that they grew back after a bit of time, so he was able to process them and decide and, you know, get some other information. Reading The Way of Kings, I think, gave him, Mm -hmm. helped him change his perspective on things. Uh, But they had to grow back in order for him to be able to accept them as part of him. Because, yeah, if they didn't grow back, then he would not have been able to to take his own pain, to take Mm -hmm. responsibility, to be able to stand uh, and defy Odium the way that he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Theo Graham Brown wrote what can only be called an essay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 
Yeah, and then Eric says this is a Theo Lange. So, <laughs> so uh, for the purpose of this already two hour long podcast, not going to read it on the on the episode, but but there's a lot of good points in there, and uh, it's worth going back and and reading what he has to say there. We will respond in this thread. How about that? We there will you, say there that. you go. Yeah. That will be much easier. Yeah. Gordon Ross says, and just in case you haven't covered it, what the hell just happened? Is Dalinar a god now? <laughs> how? And why did Odium run away rather than smiting him down? You know, how exactly he was able to reach into the spiritual realm and join them, I can't quite say other than he has a little bit of honor in him and a little bit of cultivation in him uh, because of his uh, run-ins with cultivation. And I don't know, he's, he said the right thing at the right time, and he was able to reach deep into Shades Mar and beyond into the spiritual realm and bring the power of all three of those planes of existence into one, um, giving him a whole shit ton of power, which meant that Odium couldn't, strike him down because Odium is in an avatar form and in that form he doesn't have the power to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure that's that's, pretty sure that's what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't speak to the mechanics of how he, you know, grabbed all the layers of the ice cream sandwich at one time, but, but he did somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Eric Algar says, the D&D podcast first started covering the Stormlight Archive back in July of 2018. Jeez. That episode was number 58, and now it's episode 116. Thoughts? Feelings? Wow. Wow. And we will finish it in July of 2020. No, no, no don't say that. Don't <laughs> say that. No, we won't. We won't. Shh, no more curveballs. Please. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, certainly been the most, you know, ambitious thing we've done from a podcasting standpoint. And I've enjoyed this series, but I am definitely ready to do something different. Mm-hmm. Brian Kemper says, when Odium says, no, we killed you, who was the we? That's a good question, because, uh-huh. you know, who who, you know, who the you is is pretty obvious, but who's... Who's the we? That's, I did wonder that myself, and I don't really have a good answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that's meant to be a mystery at this point. I mean, yeah, the only thing I can say is Odium and the Unmade? That would be my guess. Uh, Ian James Crone said, if you could take any one character and give them uh, some whoa, wall-to-wall counseling. Uh, who would it be, and why would it be Kaladin? Oh yeah, so, definitely. Uh, so for those of you, or maybe Shalon. It's some at times, at times. Mm. Like, just because you put a hat on her doesn't mean she's street smart. <laughs> so for those of you not in the know, wall-to-wall counseling is a is a military term for taking somebody behind the paint shed. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. That's what wall-to-wall counseling. Okay. Yeah, that changes yeah. my answer. Yeah, you throw you around. <laughs> you you don't want to beat up Shalon? No. No, I don't. I don't. 
Um, no, he, it's clearly Callan. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. He also says, which character from the books you have read would you enjoy having a beer and throwing some darts with? Uh, Wit. The Lopin. Yeah. I would hold those. I would hold the Lopin's darts mm-hmm. in one hand so he could throw them with the other. He has two hands now. Ah, I, w- I want the old Lopin. <laughs> the old, original Lopin. Original Lopin. OG original Lopin. one-armed Lopin. The original one arm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Also, I think uh, I like the um, the ardent that keeps telling Dalinar he's an idiot. Yes, yeah, I like him too. I can't, what's his name? Uh, Kadash. Yeah, yeah, that guy. He's like, hey, I, I get that. Like, you're the most powerful guy on the planet right now. Just don't forget, you're still an asshole. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd want to hang out with Adolin's dead eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a story there. <laughs> uh, he also says, Venley, are you looking forward to her redemption arc or do you want to see her held accountable for what she did? I just, I have a hard time having strong emotions for Venley. Although this this section has been at least the, the most interesting Venley has mm-hmm. been, but more as an observer. Right. Um, I just don't find... I don't I have a hard time having strong feelings one way or the other about Venley. I, I do want to see how her arc works along with Dalinar. Since Dalinar, she's seen Dalinar mm-hmm. go through this amazing moment where he's decided to own his own pain, just, you know, own his own actions. And that's really what Venley needs to do to more, be able to move forward out of the place that she is as well. And she really is kind of a stand in for her people, at least like a reader stand in. So um, I, I think what we hope to see at the end of this series is going to be the humans and the, um, the Dawn singers able to live together. Yeah. Yeah. On the planet peacefully. And Venley is going to be a big part of that. No, that certainly has, has to be how it ends or it's not going to be very satisfying. (laughs) Theo says, so remember that massive spren in the sea that Axes went to look at in one of the early book one, um, interludes Mm -hmm. do you think it's found what it's looking for yet or is it still full bono (laughs) do you think it's inhabiting both roshar and the upside down like the sky eels and the other emotion spread in which case it's also on land in the upside down and looking out over a sea of spheres oh yeah i think it definitely is in shades mar as well and that is a very good point i'd like to know what's going to happen with that i kind of do now i hadn't thought about it yeah um, let's see. Brian McClure says, no, we killed you. What exactly was happening with Dalinar in this scene? I I think we kind of address that as well. We think that he, um, started to take on the aspect of honor. I think that, again, I don't know the mechanisms behind how it happened. Mm-hmm. And I can understand if there are people who are dissatisfied with it for that reason, uh, but it seems to me that his going to see the Night Watcher and then, but then seeing Cultivation instead, and specifically the fact that his memory was erased, so he was not aware that he saw Cultivation, mm-hmm. that she was able to, you know, do things to him mm-hmm. uh, that enabled him to be prepared for this moment. She clearly was con- was foreseeing that this might happen sort of understood what Odium's plans were 
and was trying to prevent it. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact I think that's a huge part of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know, the, she took his memories not just because it helped him uh, to be able to sort of get some distance and grow and come to accept, but also because it meant that he couldn't tell anybody mm-hmm. that nobody knew mm-hmm. that cultivation was involved. Mm-hmm. So I think Odium was unaware of her sort of programming mm-hmm. in this whole thing. And so that's sort of why I think, you know, he really kind of, you know, walked in there expecting to just roll right over all of this. Right. Um, and had no reservations, you know. And, and in fact, this is what he, you know, Dalinar challenging him was what he wanted to happen. What I question is why Honor kept saying in like the flashbacks kept saying you need to have a a challenger you know you need to have a right that was his suggestion that was the suggestion you know did at that point honor's dead and it can't do anything right to further that it seems like in retrospect that was terrible advice that was exactly Mm -hmm. what odium wanted now you you could certainly argue that Honor knew what was going to happen, but mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't seem like that's the case. It seems like it was terrible advice, mm-hmm. and it's only because of the meeting with Cultivation that he was able to sort of come out of the other side of that. Though I certainly could not tell you precisely how. Right. Brian McClure also says. Odium claims to be everywhere at once and that his physical manifestation is only a sign uh, that a usual amount of his concentration was in that place. But if this is true, why did he flee when Dalinar levels up? Does having so much of his own concentration in one place leave him somehow vulnerable? I don't know. It's a good, it's a good question. It's a good, good question. I think it was more a, more a matter of him recognizing that there wasn't really anything else he could do. He could yeah. do. He sort of... he played all of his cards, and when Dalinar was able to rebuff him, then... Well, and I I think also that Odium was legitimately discomfited by what happened there. You know, he's yeah. he killed Honor, and for a minute thinks that, that Honor is back, or that, that a good portion of Honor's power has now returned, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's something that has ever happened to him before. We know that he's been going around destroying godlike beings on all kinds of planets, you know, mm-hmm. and now for the first time, one of them seems to have come back. Well, the other part of it, too, is that in, we know, although we don't, again, really know the mechanisms of how or why, we know that in some way Odium is trapped here mm-hmm. and that this is supposed to be the thing that's you know, going to allow him his freedom. And so this was his plan, like this, you know, uh, this challenge of the champions, you know, and he was going to make Dalinar his bitch uh, slash champion was a a big part of his plan of getting his freedom. And now, like most villains, does he have a backup plan? Mm. Villains don't back anything up. We all know this. Mm -mm. Nope. Sharks with laser beams or bust. Or bust. Absolutely. Do we have a favorite quote this section? I mean, I am unity. That I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think uh, my favorite quote, although I can't remember precisely what it was, is what Nightblood says to Seth. 
Oh, when, yes. And when he's like, well, he was just a rock anyway. He was you know? just a rock. Still just a rock. <laughs> That's my favorite quote. Matt Hedges says, I started reading A Way of Kings a few months ago, and I picked up your podcast to follow along. Finally, I just caught up. Whoa, big mistake, buddy. <laughs> and I wanted to let you both know that this has been such an enjoyable ride for me. Oh, thank you. And I wanted to thank you both from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to do this. Aww. I'm reading Miss Morden now, and it almost feels lonely not to have you two talking about each chapter as I read along. Uh, one final comment. Chad, uh, do not plan on reading chapter 120 if you have to sleep uh, for the next couple of hours. You've officially been warned. All right, so I guess I won't be reading 120 tonight. It does start. The The Sandra Lynch does start. Yeah, you will be awake until 2 in the morning. All right, well, then we're, we're not going to have that happen then. <laughs> um, Eric Allgaier says, here's one of those multiple choice questions that Theo likes to post. <laughs> Say you're Yasna Colon, the cold calculating member of your family. You're the kind of lady who plans the death of your in-laws before breakfast. To you, a fun night out is luring some cutthroats into a dark alley and soul-casting them into flower vases. Sounds awesome. Now say you're heading back to town after your weekend plans of hunting and killing your cousin fell through. In the distance, you see your beloved uncle, the most important man in the entire realm, and standing next to him is the assassin in white, the man who murdered your father. Do you... Okay, so this is... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, A, welcome Seth with open arms because you can just tell he's a good guy now, B, make a skeptical quip about his presence, or C, slice the guy's head off with your shard blade before he kills absolutely every last member of your I, family that you know. I mean, if I'm Yasna oh, Colon... Oh, I'm sorry. He says, side request, if you read this, please say mf -er instead of the full word. I don't like to be crude. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going for C. Yeah, no, that's true. And and when we talked about it, we talked about Dalinar's reaction and how, oh, well, he was on this, like, he has a spiritual afterglow kind of thing. But Yasna did not have that. She just kind of shows up and, yeah, there's the assassin. <laughs> okay, that is a little strange. Yeah, well, you know, the whole, I mean, that is the only part of this section that I didn't like is that Ash and Town are there mm -hmm. and... Dalinar has never seen Ash. Mm-hmm. And he knows the assassin in white killed his brother. I mean, like, Kaladin doesn't mm -hmm. see the assassin in white and flip out, too? Mm -hmm. Like, that's the... Yeah, everybody just kind of takes it in stride. Yeah. Which is... I, I get, like, if you had everyone sort of being like, blah, 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 that might, like, kind of ruin the moment. It would kind of ruin the, the little mini denouement you have there. Um, but it also is, it, it does make you wonder, like, because we as the reader know that Seth has had this change of heart and, and we've watched his journey, but nobody else does. No, in fact, the only person who might theoretically have any knowledge of it is Lyft. Yeah. Who who has the least knowledge of what Seth has done right. to the colons. You know, I mean, she knows he's the She's assassin. like, I know that guy. It's like if Matthew McConaughey showed up yeah, right. with like a freaking black smoke sword and saved your life. You'd be like, oh, hey, yeah. I feel like I, I know that I guy. I who that is. So, uh, yeah, so no, that that is definitely the, the, that is the, the one sort of negative mark so far. At the same time, I would say we're not given everybody's internal monologue at this moment we do know that that you know yasna doesn't come over and chop the guy's head off at the same time we don't know actually what they're thinking 
at this sort of one moment. No, we don't. And I don't want to rule out that there could be something happen in the next few chapters that could make that all seem very logical, but I doubt it. Right. Also, there is also like an army there uh, ready to swoop down and kill them all. That's kind of my, yeah, my explanation for why they're like, okay, uh, any port in a storm uh, right. Like we've got to face down 20,000 dudes and there's nine of us. I guess. Yeah. I'll fight alongside the assassin in white. <laughs> yeah. That's the best I can do, but it's not satisfying mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, Brian McClure says, can we trust Renard and Spren or his visions? Uh, or are they sent by Odium to manipulate us? So I don't think they're sent by Odium, but I don't know. They could be. It's hard It's hard to say. But I do feel like something has changed in his spren. And I definitely think we get the sense that Renarin is now aware that his visions are not infallible. And he also, along those lines, asks, how will other Radiants react to the fact that Renarin is using Odium's power to see into the future? Hey, the Assassin in White is here. The Assassin here. in White, so, yeah, that's going to be small potatoes. So, yeah, I mean... <laughs> that's splitting hairs Odium schmodium, like... <laughs> Do we think that the massive spren that Axes went to see is an unmade? No. I don't think so. No. Uh, Joshua Mark Birkebeck says, the Night Mother offered to give Nightblood to Dalinar, right? Yes. Yeah, somehow yeah, I didn't yeah. catch that until my third read-through somehow. <laughs> Yes, that would have changed a bit, for sure. Yeah, and I'm very curious on the mechanics of how that would have happened. <laughs> Sorry, I just read. I just read the next one. <laughs> Sam Denberg says, how could you stop there? And Eric Algar said, answer, Beastmaster on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I'm very I excited mean, about that, by the way. I haven't, I haven't, wrong. I haven't rewatched it yet. <laughs> But I'm very excited about it, yeah. <laughs> Sam Denberg says, Chad, how difficult was it to wait a month to find out what Dalinar's plan is? Uh, you know, I'm used to it. <laughs> <laughs> You've become accustomed to it. Well, let's not let's not kid ourselves. Not only am I waiting a month, but I'm also the reason why we're waiting a month. <laughs> so I can't really, like, I only have myself to blame. Like, ugh. <laughs> Theo Graham Brown says, just want to say I will now always try to say moofer instead of MFer. Well, let's keep it family friendly. Let's do it. Uh I mean this podcast is nothing if not foul mouthed. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've gotten better. I don't know. I-, I feel like we are decent about it most of the time. And then every once in a while, I just find some untapped font of sewage (laughs) that just bubbles up and I can't help myself. All right. Are you ready for predictions? Yes. Surprisingly, I don't have a lot of predictions. Mm, Well, we're coming up on the end. We are coming. Well, typically, this is where I tend to have more predictions. Mm. Um. But it just sort of feels like what's going to happen in the next section is we're going to actually get sort of the the battle. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to get the actual sort of combat side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that there's going to be... 
So I don't know who it's going to be, but I feel like there's going to be, um, what is the name of the ghost army in Lord of the Rings? I can't remember the, that, uh, the jump of the ships. Remember the, the, all the dead Numenorians, I think. The dead Numenor. Yeah, anyway, anyway, I, f- I feel like there's going like it's not going to be nine versus twenty five thousand right. soldiers. I feel like somebody's going to show up mm-hmm. with an arm. The cavalry is going to come in, right? Uh, but I don't know who it's going to be. What I would like it to be is remember that group of listeners that mm-hmm. we that like split off from the rest of the uh, Voidbringers Mm -hmm. in Words of Radiance. Yeah. And like went away. It was like Eshenai's mother. Yeah, Eshenai's, yeah. I would love for them to show back up. Yeah. Like now. They they will for sure. uh, Yeah, and that's actually my first prediction is that they they show back up. Mm -hmm. But I think in the fourth book, I don't think they're going to show up in the next Mm -hmm. year. But I do think something's going to show up. Right. I think Shallan is going to get outed for her relationship to the Ghost Bloods. Mm, okay. Like I think that's gonna that's going to become common knowledge, or at least knowledge to somebody. Right. Um, and then I, I do think that this is a cheap one, but I think Adolin's going to say say the words. Mm, okay. I don't know how that's going to work with a dead Spren. But she wasn't supposed to save his life and come anyway. Right. So why not? Um, that's the only somebody becomes a radiant um, prediction that I'm allowed for the remainder of anything to do with Stormlight ever. Oh, okay. Because, because at this point, anybody could become a radiant. Uh-huh. Like, like, you know, uh, bridge crew number 17, fourth, fourth platoon sergeant is now a radiant. Like, mm-hmm. everybody's now becoming a radiant. Right. But that one, I think, is a little bit different because Adolin has a dead-eyed spren. Right. We're looking at a completely different scenario there. So, but I do think somehow he makes a bond to that spren. And, and I think it'll it'll not be a typical radiant type thing. It'll be some sort of weird mm-hmm. twisting of the rules mm-hmm. um, that that um, Brandon Sanderson likes to use right. to further the plot along. He likes to set up rules and then take something that exists slightly outside of those rules mm-hmm. and use that as the thing that sort of, un, you know, helps the plot move along or right. resolves things. You know, that's sort of his pattern. And I think I could see that happening there. But that's all I got. Mm-hmm. What Those about you? Good you, predictions. you got any predictions? I, the book is not over yet. But next time. Next time. I will have my predictions. Episode 117. Liz is going to have predictions. Woo! Get ready. So 117 will be the end of uh, Stormlight. Oh my gosh. Can you believe it? Two years. Two years. Wow. I'm looking forward to uh, Gardens of the Moon. I am as well going to be a that'll be a fun adventure now that is a long series but we have not committed to the we entire have not series committed to the entire series you're right we will do the first book and then we will see <laughs> then we shall see all right well at this point i think we're just rambling <laughs> where can they find us uh they can find us on twitter at the dnd podcast that's d as in david n as in nancy d as in david podcast they can find us on facebook at the duke and duchess 
or on our Facebook group page, which is facebook.com slash groups slash the DND group. We're almost up to, we might, I think we're not quite, but we're almost to 400 people what? on there on the Facebook group page. Nice. Two of them have not been you or I recently, but but we will do our best to get back into that. And you can find us on all the social media just by searching up uh, the Duke and Duchess podcast. If you see anything about Harry and Kate, just smack that shit aside <laughs> and keep looking for the real Duke and Duchess. Peace out, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. I forgot how to do this. I forgot. <laughs> God, it's been too, it's been too long. It's been too long. Oh my gosh.